Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're in Gospel Saving Church today or you've taken time out of your precious day, because every day is precious that God gives us, to tune into us on SoundCloud or podcast or wherever you're coming, maybe YouTube here pretty soon, uh, it shows God that you're making Him important to you. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church and our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. All right, well, we always start with a word of prayer, so if you guys would please join me, I would surely appreciate it, that God would prepare my heart and that God would prepare your hearts and that we would hear His Holy Spirit, because that's what's the most important. I don't want to teach you, I want God to teach you through me as He has taught me this whole week And so let's just ask the Lord to to prepare our fields so that the seed that's scattered today may take good root in our hearts and may grow up to be mighty, strong, godly bushes and godly trees, shall we? Thank you so much, God, for this day. Lord, for every day is a gift from you. Lord, every day is, is a good day, Lord God. I know there's lots of evil things that happen in this world, Lord God, but the day, Lord, is good. The day is from you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be thankful to you for this day, Lord God, and not miserable and not drudging through it, Lord God, but I pray we'd we'd remember that the day is from you and we'd be thankful to you for the day and all the good things that you bring every person on the planet in each day. And Lord, help us today in this beautiful day, Lord God, to understand your holy word today. Help me to teach what you've taught me this week. Lord, help the people that are listening in in my home here in McKinney, Texas, and all over the world, Lord God, help everybody to understand what you're saying. And as I said earlier, help that, the words that I speak from your word, help those words take root in our hearts and bear good fruit, Lord God. 30 and 60 and 100 fold good fruit from our hearts, Lord God, as Jesus said in the parable. Thank you so much, Lord God. And we ask all these things and pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. You can turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 28 for today if you'd like to, or you can listen along, but I'm not going to teach him just yet until I get through my thoughts from last week's message, Peter's first sermon, part 2. Last week we covered a second section of Peter's first sermon. There is no set amount, by the way, of verses that I'm picking every week. Well, this week I'm going to do four, or this week I'm going to do two, or this week I'm going to do seven. This is all Holy Spirit-led. I'm not trying to pick a certain amount of section or something. I mean, really, I could have taught all of this as one week and just given certain sections and certain you know nibbles and certain nuggets, but I felt that God had really a lot of nuggets in each one of these sections that he's given me, and I'm really, as I study, I have really an open book. You'll, you'll find this funny, but even since Peter's first sermon, part one, I actually had the whole sermon to teach in one sermon. And then as I got through the week and God kept giving me little nuggets here and there, I was like, whoa, and I had to keep changing the verse amount that I went to. Like when I tell you that we're going to be studying uh, Acts chapter 2, 25 through 28 this week. In, in fact, I had 25 through the end. And then as I got near the end of the week, I had to bump it back to 28 because I realized there was so much God had to say to us in just these verses that I had to go. Anyway, I just wanted to say that in case anybody's wondering, hey, I wonder why he's only teaching, you know, five verses or two verses. I wonder if, you know, there's certainly no, there's no reason. It's a God reason. Anyway, uh, in the second part of Peter's first sermon, I covered how Peter described the Jesus of the Bible. Remember how I talked about that last week? Because there's lots of Jesuses to people. 
There's only one real Jesus Christ of the universe. And this is the one found in the Bible and the one that fits the characteristics of the one in the Bible. Not many. But many, of course, by deluded minds, have made other Jesuses that are not the Jesus that's described in the Bible. But, you know, I talked about that. They invent these fake Jesuses. Peter described the Jesus Christ, the one of the Bible, as one proven to them by God, by signs, wonders, and miracles. And how? How did he do these signs, wonders, and miracles to prove himself to them? He did them in, right in the sight of all the people, or most of the people, that were in Peter's audience for this first sermon, so that they were first-hand witnesses of these supernatural things that Jesus Christ did. So they, could, they, they knew there's something special about this guy. He's not just some sorcerer. He's, he's doing that. There was one thing said about Jesus. Man, he, he raised the dead. Or, oh, no, he, he healed the blind that was blind from birth. Nobody in Israel had ever done that before. They knew something was special about Jesus. Yet, Peter tells us that even though they saw these amazing proofs of Jesus the Christ of the Bible, they still took him by unlawful or sinful hands and they killed him. And they had Pilate kill him, as Scripture tells us, but that he didn't stay dead, remember, because death could not hold him. Well, just just testifying, nothing can hold our God. Amen? Amen. Nothing can hold our Jesus Christ. He's more powerful than to be held by anything. And of course, Peter told us that even though they killed Jesus, God purposed it way before that they way before they did it because of his great love for humanity and that he desires to save people even though we all deserve the death penalty. Because as I lastly talked about the message, we're all guilty of killing Jesus because he died for our sins. Past, present, and future. He died from the for the sins of the people that were in his time then. And, and in the Middle Ages, and, and in the you know, 18th century, and today, and until he comes back. So every person's sin that ever sinned kept Jesus on that cross. Nobody will ever love you like Jesus Christ loves you. Praise God. And in this overview, overview I just want to remake a big point from last week because it's worthy to be remade. Just one. I I overviewed everything. You guys got the gist of last week. This is the point that I want to remake, that I want to end us with. Just some thoughts about this point. The very first people that God reached out to at the time when he started to call people to salvation on this day of Pentecost were those who were the first-hand guilty ones of hurting and murdering his son. Wow. Wow. What a tremendous revelation of the true and ultimate love of God. I'm going to say it again. The very first people that God reached out to at the time when he started to call people to salvation were those that were directly responsible in his day for his murder. Wow! I'll tell you this right now. And I say this with passion now, and and it would take a lot for God to stop me. If someone were to kill one of my boys, the last thing that I'd want to do is pardon them and give them a free pass on what they did. The very person that did it. Yet, God pardoned the very people that were responsible for his son's death. Wow! Wow, God's love is greater. 
God's love is the greatest. His love is incomprehensible to my and our human minds. Even though I received this love 17 plus years ago by surrender to Christ, I still, to this day, don't fully understand how he could love the way he does. When I even think about me and the terrible sinful things that I've done and even stupid terrible sinful things that I do today, unfortunately that I stupidly fall into, I can't comprehend why a God of total love, a love incomprehensible, would even think about wanting to save me or pardon me for what I've done. If I were God... I'd want to put me on the guillotine and punish me, and that'd be it. I'd be done if I were God. But thank God, I'm not God. So Christians, here's my my last thought. In light of his incomprehensible love, I want you to think on this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What does that all mean? Christians, in light of his love, in light of his great forgiving love, strive to live life worthy in holiness and faith unto Christ. For he deserves your best effort. If there's anybody in this world that deserves your best effort, it's not your family. It's not your boss at work. If you're a Christian, your first best effort should go to Jesus Christ. And to follow his word with all your heart as best as you possibly can, denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following after him. And if you haven't come to know him and you find yourself drawn to this sermon, God's drawn you, he's calling you, he's drawing everybody, you're just responding, you need to surrender today, for God will love you greater than anybody else that's ever loved you ever on the face of the planet, or he'll love you more than anybody will ever love you on all the face of the planet. And that's my close, and that's my overview. Praise God. Let's move on. Our new section of sermon, our new section of study, we're first, uh, Peter's first sermon, part three. Let's read Acts 2, verses 25 through 28, and then we'll, uh, I'll teach him. Acts chapter 2, verse 25. Peter writes this. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. What a good section of scripture. We have a lot of content to cover today, plus a big section of scripture that is one of my favorites to cover also. So I just want to jump right in and get going. Uh, Continuing upon the same line uh, as Peter was on, the the death that could not hold Jesus Christ or his resurrection, Peter tells us that, that Peter told us about in verse 24. Peter was on here to tell us about a prophecy concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but first, In the prophecy, he tells us of the hope that God's faithful or that God's redeemed have in him. 
The prophetic scripture Peter quotes here in Acts 2 comes from David in Psalm 19. And in that psalm, my NKJV very appropriately titles that, The Hope of the Faithful and the Messiah's Victory. You'll see how fitting this title is as I teach this section. But God gave David some pretty powerful prophecy. David actually saw the things that he writes today. He saw them with either a a vision or a dream, or maybe God took them to heaven like he did John in the book of Revelation. We don't know. We just know that David saw what we're reading today. Verse 25, look at what David saw. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. David saw a vision of God Almighty, not including, it was including Jesus Christ, but not right away. The first part of this vision is just God Almighty. This vision would not have included God's face, of course, for the Bible says no man shall see the face of God and live. Okay, so we see that David here said he saw the Lord God Almighty, but we know he didn't see his face. And if you don't think it's possible, John saw God Almighty in Revelation 4, 1-3, but he didn't see his face. John writes, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, one sat on the heaven. Who's that? That's God Almighty. But, and he, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So John saw God, probably, probably just like Moses saw God on the mountain. No face, just this glorious light. And John described it as these, these beautiful stones, these colors of stones and stuff. And so, yes... David saw God just like John saw God in the book of Revelation without seeing his face. But where did David say that God was to him when he saw him? He said he was at his right hand. Do you know if you've obeyed God and if you've surrendered to Jesus Christ today and you're continuing in that, you haven't fallen away, He is by your right side as well, too. Hallelujah, that's such good news. Same as he was with David. Remember, the partial title of Psalm 16 was The Hope of the Faithful. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're following Christ, this still applies to you this very day. What does the faithful David say it means to have God at his side always? Last part of the verse, he says this, that I may not be shaken. What does that mean? I shall not fear. I shall not be afraid. Hey, if God be for me, who can be against me? For why? For I love God. I follow Jesus Christ. My God is always at my right side. How should every true believer in Christ look at what David said in both of these sections of Scripture? You will have problems. This is just something that God put on my heart. You may have a different way to say it, but this is something God put on my heart. You will have problems, Christians, probably daily. (laughs) I know I do. But how big do you allow them to be? I say this. 
teeny tiny if your God is big. As tiny, I would say, if God is really big in your life, like he should be, any problem that comes your way should be as teeny tiny, I like this analogy God gave me, as if you spilled a cup of water on the grass at an outdoor picnic in a field with no one around. Right? Isn't that a good way to look at it? I mean, we're going to have problems, but if you spilled a cup of water in a field with nobody around in an outdoor picnic, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm just going to go get another glass of water, glass of water. And hey, praise God, some grass got watered, right? It's a problem. Hey, you lost your glass of water, but was it really a bad problem? No, this is teeny tiny, just little, little, little. Christians, I want to think of, I want you to think of, it, of what David said in light. Christians, I want to think of this in light of what David wrote of God's faithfulness to his children. If you have big problems, you serve a small God. Something to think about today. If you have big problems, you serve a small God. But if you serve a big God, I'm not talking about the God of Islam or the God of Buddhism or the God of this or the God of... I'm talking about the God of the Bible, okay? If you serve a big God, the one who formed the sun, the moon, the stars, places that most places which we can't even get to, we can't get anywhere near the sun, yet there it is. And without the sun, we'd all die. There'd be no heat for our planet. So I'm talking about the God of the Bible who formed the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the planets. If you serve a big God, your problems should be teeny, tiny, small. For yea, as you walk, even through the valley of death, as David writes in Psalm 23, doesn't sound like a good place to be, you can choose to fear no evil because you know your big God is with you at your right side, no yet. And he has your back. Which means that you can choose to surrender all your problems to your mighty God and your mighty Savior, Jesus Christ, totally. And you can refuse to worry about them because as David said, he's with you and you may not be shaken. Christians, if you live in fear of anything or you're letting any problems be large and in charge of you, we all know that saying, large and in charge, right? If you're letting any problem you have be large and in charge for you and consuming your life and your mental thoughts, then you are not recognizing and putting full trust, your full trust and obedience in God Almighty and Jesus Christ, creator of all, as the what? The tremendously large and really in charge of all creation, God that he is. For he really is in charge of all creation. He keeps the sun going around, or the earth going around the sun and the moon going around the earth. He keeps all that going by his invisible power. And yet we worry that, oh no, I, I'm, I've got this problem. Oh, oh no. Well, you're worrying because you're not giving them to the God that can do something about them. You may be saying, well, Pastor Ed, did David really have problems? I mean, really? And Pastor Ed, do you really have, I mean, you don't even know what I go through, Pastor Ed. What about David? What about, well, yes. Did David have problems? Absolutely. Let's talk about David for just a minute. Let's talk about Saul. Well, God had called David to be the new king because Saul sinned. 
Saul sinned his way, let this hit your mind, Saul sinned his way out of the grace of God. Some, some pastors will tell you that can't happen. Yeah, we just go back to the Old Testament. We see that God, he, he, God saw out and he put David in, right? That's what we see. And then so Saul, the Bible very clearly tells us when God took Saul out, God sent an evil spirit to him to torment him, took his spirit away and sent an evil spirit to torment him. And then he would have these fits and, and the people said, man, we better help. How can we help? Hey, call for that musician David to come in and he'll play some nice songs and it'll soothe that evil spirit that's on Saul. And so they did. Well, God had already called David to be the new king, but Saul didn't know it. But Saul kind of got the picture as he as he sinned himself right out of the grace of God. And of course, what happened was he started attacking David. So much so is that David had to leave the land of Israel in fear of his life because Saul was trying to kill him. And he had to move to the land of the Philistines, the most hated people by the Jews. And Saul had, uh, David had to go there because Saul was threatening his life. Talk about a problem. Then we have Goliath. This huge, like nine foot tall beast. And yet David was here, just a small little Jewish man of maybe five foot, five foot two at the most. And this guy could have crushed him with one hand. Yet, what did David do? He trusted in the living God that he saw was at his right hand and he took him down. One of David's own sons, Absalom, as a result of a heinous sin that David committed before God with Bathsheba, who basically took over his whole house, David once again had to flee from the kingdom, had to flee from his, from his, uh, his uh, house. And so, yes, David had lots and lots and lots of problems. Some he brought on himself. Some, you know, they were just, they happened because, you know, God was testing David. Have I, both past, present, and, and probably I know future, have I had and will I have problems? Absolutely. And pretty large ones at that. I have had in the past a, 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 an assistant pastor who all of a sudden started saying that I was of the devil and started attacking me. I had some friends betray me and basically tell me that I wasn't any good and kicked me out of the, basically let me, caused me to leave the church. Uh, I've had some Really terrible sickness in my family, not me, but some of my family members. Uh, I, I have a prodigal son right now. I've had job issues where they've been jockeying me around. I was uncertain about my jobs. I, I had a semi-truck driver just yesterday want to pass me on a two-lane road when I was doing 65 already with cars and oncoming. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, that's kind of deadly because, you know, I, chances are he wasn't going to have enough time to pass. And, you know, I would either have to slam on my brakes or I'd die, you know. So, yes. Have I had problems? Absolutely. And have I ever worried like yesterday with the semi-truck driver? Absolutely. But, and have I let my problems consume my mind to, to, to points of stress beyond belief? Well, sometimes, but I can tell you this. Less and less as I continue to walk with Christ, but occasionally it happens. The reason why I don't much anymore, though, is because I think this. This is another one I want you to keep with you. Please keep this one with you. I believe that worry is an insult and slap in the face to God. Because when you're worrying, like I was worrying yesterday, instead of giving it to God, then you're slapping God in the face because you're saying, He's not big enough to take care of your problem. When you worry and put it upon yourself, well, you know, God, I, I don't think you can handle this one. 
Ooh. Oh, you know, my son, I, I only just keep all the planets going around the sun and all the planets in the universe rotating around. And I keep, I make sure your ecosystem is perfect because, you know, just my son, even with, with one little thing less like the bee, I mean, you know, if the bee just didn't exist, you would die. But I, but I keep all of that going on just for you. Just because, you know, people are the apple of my eye. But, you know, I, I understand, you know, you, you don't think I can get you another job if I allow you to lose that one on. Slap. God can't take care of me. He's not big enough. That's a false statement. That's why I don't worry hardly at all about much. Because I don't want to insult my big God. But for the most part, for a long time, I stay focused on God's faithfulness and, and the hope I have in Christ that he will take care of me and make everything work out just fine as he is faithful to take care of his children. You see, it's not whether we have problems or not, because we all do. We all will. Even Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So it's not that we won't have problems. It's what we do with them when. Notice I said when, not if. When they come. Do we give them to God constantly? And do we take a stand in our minds? And do we refuse to worry about them? Because we know what? We keep this one thing in our mind. We know that God is by our side. If we're continuing to follow him, that is, I don't want to leave that part out. Or do we keep them to ourselves and ponder and worry ourselves to death about them because that's what worry brings. Worry brings stress. Worry brings death. Death, worry, stress is a huge, huge killer. Christians, please keep this stuff in your mind. Uh, the next, time, next or current time you have a huge or big, 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 big problem to you in your life. Because keep that in mind, it is just a big problem to you. It's not a big problem to God. He, he, he's the problem solver. He's the problem taker. Okay. If you choose to make that problem huge in doing so, you're making your God teeny tiny. And remember, worry is a slap in God's face. Getting back. Look at what David says happens when he, and could be you and me, are totally trusting in God Almighty as the huge and really all-powerful creator and sustainer he is. Verse 26, Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. You see, total faith, trust always in God and Jesus Christ always, will always lead to total rejoicing. It'll always lead to total gladness and hope of your heart. And it'll not lead to fear. And it will make your problems teeny tiny. Just like that cup of water that you spill on that open field with nobody around. Oh man, my water's gone. Oh, oh well, I'll just go get a new cup of water. It's not hardly a problem at all, right? When you keep your eyes on the God that is with you, if you belong to Christ, then you can totally rejoice and be glad because no matter what he's, what's going on in your life, he's got it. God's got it. That is such good news. No wonder why Psalm 16 is partially titled, The Hope of the Faithful. 
And not only that, but if you do belong to Christ, Bible says that all things happen for the good who those of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So you can know that God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and earth, has allowed that problem that you think is big, which is really tiny to God and can be tiny to you, into your life for good. Doesn't that just blow your mind? You see, relax child of God. Let your heart rejoice and your tongue be glad. Because why? Because if you are a child of God, God is in control. God is sovereign in your life. Really? No matter what comes, we just need to adopt this saying. It's a one of the world, but it's a good one. You can universalize it all. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Because really, life is like a great ride. Every day is a gift from God. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hey, God's got the wheel. I'm just going to sit in the back and recline in my nice little, you know, conversion van seat that God puts me in, and I'm just going to let him drive, right? That's how you can look at life. But David, in his vision, doesn't just see this great God and his great and all-sufficient Savior on earth take care of him and get him through all terrible and bad situations while he was alive. Look at verse 27, the first part of it anyway. He says this, For you will not leave my soul in Hades. He saw in his prophetic vision the everlasting, the forever, and the supernatural eternal life that God promises to all those whom are his and remain in Christ until the end of their lives. What an awesome vision that David had. We should all... Ask God, as I have been for a while, God, speak to me like you did these guys. Because, man, I'll tell you, I would love to have these visions like these guys. I mean, I'm, I take by faith what they said and know that they were real people, but I would love to have these visions. But anyway, so David just told us that God is not only 100% sufficient to take care of us 100% while alive in our earthly bodies, but that he is also 100% super all-sufficient to take care of us after death with eternal life in heaven and not eternal death in hell. For you will not leave my soul in Hades. So God's awesome ability to take care of us doesn't stop when our lives end. Wow. Oh, wait, I'm only the God of you when you're in your earthly body. Sorry. I'm your God, if you're mine, even into eternity. God is so, so very good, isn't he? Now, just an aside to some spiritual truths that have changed from David's day under the old covenant to ours, uh, which we are under the new covenant now since Christ has died. Notice David just said that God would not leave his soul in Hades. Did God send David to the burning place of hell? Because that's what that word means, Hades. Sorry, not at all. This Hades he referred to here was not the torturous place of hell. It was a special split part off of hell called Abraham's bosom, as Jesus tells us about in Luke 16 with Lazarus and the rich man. And that's where David and all God's faithful went and stayed under the old covenant when they died to wait for the promise of God, eternal life in heaven, that here David saw in this vision, Psalm 16. He saw a peaceful place of rest, 
but not and not Abraham's bosom, but that's where he knew he was going. But he saw that by this miraculous thing in his vision that he wasn't gonna that he was gonna be able to go to heaven. This Abraham's bosom was not heaven, but it was a peaceful place of rest, and it wasn't burning, and it wasn't the ultimate place of rest, but it was a peaceful place nonetheless. And the reason they couldn't go to heaven, by the way, in case you're wondering. Christ had not made a way with his victory over sin and death at the cross and his resurrection just yet. Did you know nobody in the Old Testament until Christ came got to go to heaven when they died? Nobody got to enter heaven until Christ died on the cross and then he resurrected on that third day to make a way to heaven for all those souls that had been waiting on God's promise that were all in Abraham's bosom. David was under the old covenant before Christ came, so no heaven when he died. And the change now would be for those whom have turned to Christ for their refuge and they're not under the spiritual anymore. That, so no more Abraham's bosom when we die. Uh, under, the old, under the new covenant, those whom are born again and remain faithful until death or Christ's return abiding in Christ or God's faithful to, to go to heaven right after they die. That's what God has for us today. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul tells us this. We are confident, yes, well, please rather to be absent from the body is to be, and to be present with the Lord. So no Abraham's bosom for us since Christ's death and resurrection. We get to go to heaven. Praise God. So again, if you've been saved and remaining in Christ and abiding in him and abiding in him, the God whom was faithful during your life to take care of you will be faithful in your death to bring you to him and give you eternal life as well too. Look at what else David said had to say of God's faithful. Rest of verse 27. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. David saw the Messiah's great victory over death when he cracked the grave and he resurrected on the third day after he died. And he saw it seven to nine hundred years before it actually happened. The grave could not hold him, and the death and death could not keep him. This, the keeping his holy one from corruption, in case you're wondering, that David saw here was not allowing the body of Jesus Christ to decompose, and his resurrection after three days. David saw it all. What a vision this must have been. God is so, so very good. And yes, God was even faithful toward his Messiah in the fact that he would not allow him to see corruption. Uh, and to us, Christ's resurrection, how? How was God faithful here? This is how God was able to not leave David's soul in Hades. You see, David went to that Abraham's bosom, but by Christ's resurrection, David didn't have to stay there. And neither will we if we're his. We won't have to, when we die, we get to go right to heaven. And this is what Messiah's victory over sin and death did for us. David is not the only one to prophesy of the death and resurrection of God's Holy One or his suffering servant, as Isaiah called him. Also, Isaiah, in chapter 53 of his book, he writes this, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. We get the whole life of Christ and the resurrection in just 12 verses. I just love this chapter. It's one of my most favorite chapters in all the Bible. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as root out of dry ground. He has no form of clumminess. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Listen, he is despised and rejected by men. Jesus was despised and rejected by mankind. 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by our stripe, by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God laid all our sins on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened out his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before it shears his silence, so he was led as, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was, guess what? Cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. That means he died, in case you're wondering. That means he lived, he took all the sins upon himself, and he died, taking all the sins upon himself. Verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put his, him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. That's his death. He's dead. If you just stop there, Isaiah saw it, the story's over, right? But if you just go on, if you just move on to the rest of verse 10, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Now, what? wait a minute. He just died. Who else has ever died and then rose back to life? Because here, this person that Isaiah is describing, he lived, he, he, was, he was a tormented person, people hated him. He, he died for the sins of people, right? And then after he died, how could he see his seed and prolong his days if he died? Well, there's only one man in history that fits that bill, and that's Jesus the Christ of the Bible, of course. He goes on to say, By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide up a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul into death. And he, is numbered, and he was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So even Isaiah saw the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he was after David lived, though. God had the death and resurrection of Christ planned out for his love for mankind, even though this seems like a terrible, heinous thing to do. We even see the faithfulness and love of God even in that. Had God never done this, no one would have ever been able ever to be in his presence and be with him for all eternity. Praise God. He's so faithful. And God said no to this idea. He said, no, I want people to be with me forever, forever. What is David's response to God allowing him to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ and God's faithfulness to him and all humanity? Our last verse, verse 28. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me, notice the future tense, full of joy in your presence. God indeed made the ways of life, eternal life that is, clear to David in his vision. And because he saw God's beautiful forever life and his eternity being with God forever awaiting him, he proclaims here that he will be full of joy in God's presence. David knew, he saw, I'm going to be in God's presence one day. And what? To have eternal life. 
David's response is the one that every child of God should carry with them daily by faith. Because if you belong to God, he's made his ways of life known to you and your promise of eternal life forever with him if you continue in the faith until you die or Christ comes back. And if you do, this guarantee of eternal life is just that. It's a guarantee. God took care of you on earth while you were alive. God's going to take care of you in heaven forever. So if you're a man, woman, or child of faith, why not fully trust in God Almighty and Jesus His Christ for not only your eternal salvation and forever life with God in eternity, but every day that He grants you on this earth through all of your problems, through the valley of death that we've all been through, Psalm 23. One more way that God has shown me how His children or those whom are His spiritual children should think of the problems as He is a big God. I want you to think about this. We don't have an issue that we have to take care of. We don't have a problem that we have to solve. We have situations we we have to give to God and Jesus and let them take care of them. So get it? I'm going to say it again. We don't have problems or issues that we have to take care of ourselves. Because then you're what? As a friend always says, you're relying on the arm of flesh when you want to take care of them yourself. We need to surrender all of our issues or our situations, good or evil or whatever, however bad we think they are. We have to give them to God and to Christ and let them take care of them. That's what kind of issues and problems we have if we have a big God. Do you serve a big God today or do you serve a small God today? Because if you serve a big God, then your problems should be, you should make them teeny tiny. Christians, Proverbs 3, 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. If you do something with all of your heart, how much is left over? Zero. So if you're trusting in the Lord with all your heart, and then he goes on to say, and lean not to your own understanding, you're not leaving anything out that's not trusting in the Lord God for everything. God Almighty knows how to take care of his children, but will allow what we call problems and troubles to come our way to test us. He wants to test us to see see if we'll continue to stand and remain in him. Because although If we're his, heaven is guaranteed now. Bible speaks very clearly that if we are to fall away, then we those promises all go goodbye, just like Saul, that where he sinned his way willfully sinned now. Now he wasn't just making an accident, oh man, Lord God, I can't please stop me. Don't let me do that. He willfully did things that he knew God hated and then expected God to forgive him. And then God said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna allow that. And he disqualified himself from the position, as we can still do today. So, child of the living God, don't slap the creator of the universe in the face by worrying your life literally to death and making God Almighty a teeny tiny God. Give God glory and put all your trust in him, for he will not disappoint you. He will take care of you. 
not only while you're alive in this earthly body, but also into and through eternity if you continue in Christ all the rest of the days of your life. Please remember, you don't have big problems. You have situations that you have to give to God and Christ and let them take care of them. I had two opportunities yesterday, one I already told you about with the semi-truck driver, that I failed. And I did not, and it was like eating gravel, and I felt terrible because at that point in time, I slapped God in the face, and I'm ashamed of myself, but I repented. For God was good to me, really, and I'll say this because we had a lot of problems last night as a family, and and they seemed like big problems last night, but since God is good to me, He gave me a chance to redeem myself For I got through those big problems by just repeating this. Lord, I've got these problems. I'm giving them to you. I'm giving them to you, God. You are big enough to take care of my problems. I'm not going to worry about them, God. Take these problems. And I had to keep repeating that and repeating that and repeating that and repeating that because my own mind and my flesh said, Ah, they're problems. How do I fix these problems? Ah. No, 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 no. God, I'm giving everything to you. No, I'm going to refuse to get panicked. I'm going to refuse to be freaked out. I'm going to refuse to get stressed out because God, you got this. God, you got this problem. And through that, guess what happened to my, my big problem? My big problem got teeny, 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 tiny, size of a head of a pin, and then it just went away, and everything just corrected itself and became perfect, all because I refused to worry and stress out about what I thought was my big problem, because it wasn't big at all. It was teeny, 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 tiny, like that cup of spilled water in an open field on the grass. Once I gave it to God and I continued to give it to God. Now, all of this time I have addressed the great news of God's care for his children and the great hope that we can put in him and Jesus Christ. For he is, as David wrote in his psalm, the hope of the faithful. For he is. God is the hope of his faithful. So I would say that after what I've preached on today, the big question would not be, does God take care of his kids? The answer is 100%, super clear, should be to all of us, absolutely he sure does. God's true children don't have to worry. We don't have to panic. We don't have to stress out. We don't have to go, oh, let it consume our minds. We don't have to let those things happen. We can choose to give them to God. Because God's got it 100% for his kids. I love this saying, 100%, God's got 100% of every problem that we could ever have. Because he does. If you belong to God, he's got 100% of every 100% problem you could ever have. And there's not even a question about that. The real question for today is this. God's got it for his kids, but are you really... God's kid. Or another one, if you were at one time his kid, are you still his kid? Or did you outsin God like Saul and have you backslidden away 
from totally trusting in God and totally following Jesus Christ. Many assume that just because God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son to bring salvation to humanity that everyone is going to go to heaven when they die and then they get to stay there. Well, I got news. Everybody is going to go to heaven when they die, but the Bible says not everybody's going to get to stay there. Everybody goes to heaven when they die to get judged. And God either says to you at that point, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord, or be gone from me. Uh, I'm sorry. You don't have what it takes. You didn't fit the bill. That's not, the Bible says nowhere that everybody gets to go to heaven and stay there forever. Look at what Jesus Christ said in Luke 13. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying through toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few that are saved? And he said to them, now this is salvation now. And listen to what he says about few being saved. Now this would be a perfect time for Jesus to say, oh, foolish person. Didn't you know God loves everyone and God's going to save everyone? But what he says, and he said to him, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Ooh, that doesn't sound like everybody. Ooh, that's true. Strive and narrow, that sounds like very slim. For many, he said, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Wow. That sure doesn't sound like everybody's getting saved and going to stay in heaven when they die to me. Look at what he says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. That doesn't sound very wide. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Now, destruction doesn't sound like an eternity in heaven. Destruction sounds like a real bad thing, right? Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So Jesus in no way ever said that everybody is going to go to heaven and stay there when they die. Against popular opinion, Jesus does not agree with what people say today. He said only for a few, a few will be saved. My question to you today, you who are listening to me from all over the world, are you one of the few? I just listened to a message the other day by one of the world's most powerful preachers, whom I've said before was a, just a certified heretic. But, but then I'd heard some things, and I'd heard clips of his messages and stuff, but I'd never really listened to a full message before, ever. And as I was thinking about this just yesterday, God prompted me. He said, well, hey, child, why don't you go listen to all of what he has to say? Like, listen to a full message of what he has to say. So that way, you know, you're really, you know, maybe, you know, kind of like God, the way he speaks to me sometimes, maybe you misjudged. Maybe he's not as bad as you said, or maybe if he is, then that way, you know, you'll know exactly what to say if people say, oh, I, I listen to that guy because this guy has a huge mega, 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 mega church somewhere in Dallas. I'm not going to point out the name of, of who the guy is, but I think you'll figure it out. So I wanted to hear a full message of myself just to tr- know truly everything that what I said and what I've been saying in the past was true. Well, this fellow opened his message speaking to everyone as if they were God's holy spiritual children. Now, this guy's not talking to a few hundred. This guy's not talking to a few thousand. This guy's talking to like 
10 and 20,000 people all over this country and maybe even all over the world. And he opens up his message speaking to everyone as if they were God's holy spiritual children. And he used this phrase, and if they were, as if they were born into God's royal family. And the thrust of his whole message is that they had the favor of God. The favor of God. And that they should adjust the crowns of favor on their head to tens of thousands of people that he assumed were God's children. Wow. Not according to what Christ said in the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, though. That completely goes against everything that God said, Jesus said in in Luke and in Matthew. Everything. Everything. Yet this guy, speaking to thousands, like they were all his. Like they were all belonged to God. And that is absolutely, absolutely terrible. And worse than even that, the whole whopping 25-minute message didn't give God any glory at all. It was all about what you could do for yourself and all about the things you could ask for and receive yourself and all these blessings that you could just, oh, I got the favor of God. Hey, I'm going to get that parking space. I'm going to pass that test. I'm going to get that free thing at that store. And it gave God no glory at all. So yes, God loves everyone, but only a few will accept his invitation. Are you one of the few that will be saved? Sadly, many in our world today, especially in America, believe themselves to be Christians and saved and on the way to heaven. Actually, 75 to 85% by some studies that have been done of Americans alone think that they are saved and going to heaven when they die and going to stay there. Well, sounds to me like some people are deceived. Because here... If Jesus Christ said few would be saved and many would go the way of destruction, how is it that many in America and the world believe themselves to be the few? Huh. Well, can't be, ladies and gentlemen. Can't be. Somebody's wrong. And I'll tell you this. My Word document didn't like it, but somebody's wrong, and it ain't Jesus. It ain't Jesus. People are wrong. Many profess Christ, but not all are God's kids. So how do we know? How do we know who's a child of God? How do we know which one of us can actually hold on to those promises that I talked about today? Because maybe you're sitting out there and going, well, Pastor Ed, you know, I've kind of put my trust in the Lord before, but man, things still go crappy and like my problems just destroy me. Well, that's not a good sign. Because if you put your trust in the Lord, He always works things out for me. It may not always be the way I want, mind you, but He always works things out for me to the good, actually. And I see it once it's all done. And Well, hey, all, yeah, all that kind of was bad, but wow, look at the end result. Wow, it was real, the end result was awesome. So how do we know? What, what are some things that, that Jesus and the Bible tells us that we can look for as to how we're really God's kids? Well, Jesus tells us one thing here, a couple few things here. In Matthew 7, 21-23, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. That, that's one thing. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare them, I never knew you. Ouch. But they, they said they, they confessed, Lord, Lord. And he said to them, Depart from me. I never knew you. 
you who practice lawlessness. So there's the second thing. Two things that Jesus said that struck out to me. Number one, people that think that they're his but are not. They don't do the will of the Father. And, And number two, they practice lawlessness. Or sinfulness is another word for lawlessness. And they, they basically, they practice a lifestyle doing the things that God hates. Uh, where do you stand today? Number one, do you do God's will? And, and I'm not talking about doing something that you can earn your way to salvation. This is a will of God that has to do with salvation. And it's nothing you can do, but it's His will, right? That's number one. I'll get to that in a little bit. Number two, I'm going to focus on that. Number two, do you practice lawlessness? Do you practice living a lifestyle, doing the things that God hates willfully? You see, God hates sin. And if you profess to be saved and a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, yet practice sinful ways of life, then Jesus said to you that you don't belong to God. And I'll say to you, if you practice that way of life, you do not have any hope in God at this point. You can't claim any of the promises that I told you about, what I did I talk to Christians about. You are, that's it. You have no hope in this world. If you live a life, like Paul says here, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-12, he says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I don't care what you've professed before. I don't care if you prayed a prayer of salvation. I don't care if you, even at one point, if you felt God's Holy Spirit anoint you and you you spoke in tongues and you, you glorified God, if today... You have turned back to unrighteousness. Or today, maybe you never even went there. Maybe you're just a, a hateful person and hate God, and, but you just find yourself listening to the sermon. Or, or maybe you just, whatever. But you, you live in unrighteousness. You, as Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says this, he goes on to say this. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators. Those are people that have sex outside of marriage. Neither idolaters. That'd be you putting something else above God. Money, cars, wealth, whatever. Stuff. Adulterers. That'd be people that are married having sex with other people, which is all glorified in our country in America today. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And I'll even add to that, is your mouth filthy? How can you love God and love righteousness and speak with a filthy mouth? I'm just not seeing it. Filthiness is unrighteousness. So I'll add to that. I'll add to this. Do you shun Christian fellowship purposely? Do you go out of your way to avoid the Christians that you know that really love Jesus? The ones you'd say, man, that guy's a Jesus freak. Oh, Get a Bible thumper. Do you avoid those types of people? If this kind of stuff describes you, then Jesus Christ said you don't belong to God. And you're deceived and you will not go to heaven no matter what your mouth professes. And if this is you today, you should be scared, not hopeful. And you should be scared every moment of every day of your life. Because God's promises, as David said in the psalm, are the hope of the faithful. Not the hope of the heathen. Okay? On the flip side, are you striving to study and read God's word every day? And are you striving to follow the ways of life that God says that he says we should live? Is that your goal? 
Is that your aim? But, oh, you, you blow it sometimes? Well, that's a little bit different story. You see, because we're all going to sin until we die. But are you striving to serve God? If, if you say you love God, are you striving to serve Him? Are you striving to love Him? Do you strive to follow Jesus Christ and keep His ways? To kind of do things the same way Jesus did, right? Do you strive to live a life of holiness? Do you run from sinful things and run into the arms of God and unto righteousness? And do you yearn for Christian fellowship? Ladies and gentlemen, please examine yourself today because God knows your true heart. I've heard that one a lot when I used to do a lot of street ministry. Well, God knows my heart. Yeah, he he sure does. And you better be scared too because he does know your heart. And because he does know your heart, your heart's deceitful and wicked, the Bible says, and deceives you into thinking that you are, even though you live a life of sin, but yet you still think, I love Jesus. That's deception. So please, guys and girls, examine your, examine your life and who you live for and who you truly serve and love. He knows those whose hearts are strong toward him. He also knows who does his will unto salvation and who doesn't do his will unto salvation. Let me just ask you a question because I never did get to point one. I'm going to be closing with this point. What is his will unto salvation? But it can't be works. Ooh, that's a tough one. What is his will unto salvation, but it's not works? Because Paul speaks about can't be saved by works in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Do you even know what God's will is unto salvation? Because Jesus just said there in Matthew 7 that those who didn't do the will of God will not inherit eternal life. Now here's the question to ask for you. If you say I'm a Christian, but yet you don't know the will of God, Here's why I'm scared for you, because how can you be doing his will unto salvation if you don't even know what it is? Would you start to seek the Lord today and see if you are his or not? If, depending on what I said today, depending on what I just talked about. So many think they are saved, but so many are deceived. And even Jesus said it. Many will come to me in that day, say, Lord, Lord, many Many will say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. Wow. Are you one of the few or are you one of the many? Please don't just assume that you're right with God. Seek his face in his word, not through your mind, just in his word. And and please see if your life lines up with the one that he says will be saved in scripture. Please. Because there is a way that seems right to a man, but its way is death. Are you the type of saved person in Scripture? Does the life of a saved person line up with your life? Or does it not? I love you and I want you to be saved, but many will desire to enter, as Jesus said in Luke 13, 24, but will not be able. Seek the Lord, please. And hear the things that I said, both real Christians and, and those maybe that are deceived. And please pray about all that I say. Because God wants to save you, even if you're deceived. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word, Lord. Thank you so much for Peter's first message. Lord, as he got not only the day of Pentecost, that he got the the tongue, the the, the spiritual language, Lord God, that he was able to speak in different languages, Lord. He got a special, special tongue, Lord. But he also got the ability to preach and teach. 
Lord God, as he had never taught your word ever before, and yet here with this first message, Lord, he just he just breaks out with Old Testament scripture, Lord, and and you know, Lord, him being a Galilean, Lord, they were not really privy to getting scriptures on their own, so he wouldn't have really been able to study all of these prophecies that he's talking about. So, Lord, this is not something that he even knew. Lord, you gave him this stuff because you gave him the ability to teach. And Lord, just thank you so much, Lord God, for his first sermon. Thank you so much for the golden nuggets, Lord. Even though we're, we're moving through it as a, at a sloth's pace, Lord, I, I, just, I still thank you for it, Lord God, because I'm learning so much, Lord, and I'm a, not only learning in my mind, but I'm applying what I learned to my life, Lord. I pray that everyone that I speak to, Lord, everyone that will hear these words that I speak of yours, I, I pray, Lord God, for them that they would not only hear the words that I say, Lord, but that they would apply them to their lives, Lord God, and that if they are truly yours, Lord, that they would get the benefit, the hope of the faithful, Lord God, because you are, you, you bring so much hope. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord God, for your hope, for your faithful. And, and Lord, for those that aren't yours, or Lord, those that are, have walked away from you, Lord, I pray that they would see the hope of the faithful. And I pray, because it's your love, I pray that they would be drawn to you. And they would not reject you anymore, but that they would run to you as their refuge again or for the first time. Please, God. Don't let the words that I speak just go in one ear and out the other. Let them sit hard in their hearts and work on them in a mighty way. And I ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.